Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Scale It Method, where we teach you to reach the next level in your business, build your dream team, and scale beyond eight figures. Too many business owners are stuck trying to do everything themselves, and their businesses are suffering as a result. And I don't want you to be one of those people. I'm Allison Maslin, and my company, Pinnacle Global Network, has helped thousands of business owners scale their companies using my framework, the Scale It Method. All business owners face similar challenges when it comes to growth. And on this podcast, we're delivering the tactics you need to finally reach the next level in business, build your dream team, and scale beyond eight figures. And today I am talking to a business genius, Jason Waller, the founder and CEO of Pink Energy. Now, you might recognize Jason from his popular entrepreneurial podcast, True Underdog, or his best-selling book, Own Your Power. Despite growing up in an abusive household and becoming a teen dad, Jason has created massive success for himself. He has built his first multi-million dollar company by the time he was only 25 years old, and he founded a solar installation company in 2014. So in just six short years, Pink Energy's revenue grew to almost a billion dollars. In fact, I think he's surpassed that now. Pink Energy has been recognized as the number one fastest growing company in the Southeast and Midwest. Now, I wanted to have Jason on the show to talk about the importance of building a killer team, how to effectively increase your revenue long term, and aligning your team with cash flow are two pillars of the scale up method and both are absolutely essential to growing and scaling your business. So excited to talk to Jason about how to build the perfect team. Well, I don't know, perfect actually is in the vocabulary there, but how to increase, how to have an amazing team. Let's just say that and how to increase your cash flow, even starting from nothing. So welcome Jason to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. I appreciate it. Super excited. Great intro too. Made me feel really good. Made me feel distinguished. I like that. Yeah. Well, you are, you are, my gosh, you know, what you've been able to accomplish is, you know, quite incredible. So we all want to learn from you. And so just right off the bat, tell me a little bit about what got you here. You had a pretty rough upbringing, but you still managed to start your first company early in adulthood. Do you feel like everything you went through in your childhood influenced your journey to becoming an entrepreneur in any way? I do. Absolutely. I think if I had an easy childhood, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. If I didn't see some of the good and the bad growing up, I wouldn't be able to weather the storm that you need to do when you're running a business, building a business. There's a lot of obstacles. Everybody can celebrate the wins and the awards, but there's a lot of losses that lead to that. And I would have been prepared for any of that had I not grown up the way I grew up. And people think like, yes, it was abusive. And yes, we lived in a trail park. Yes, we didn't have a lot of money, but my parents were still loving. They just had a lot of problems and as do most people. And so, you know, I saw my dad struggle, blue collar, working multiple jobs. My mom working third shift, decorating cakes. I'm helping my dad deliver newspapers and we were struggling. And I saw him miss out when the unicorn came by. He didn't jump on it. He wanted to, he played it safe, right? He didn't play it to, he was scared to lose. And I just told myself as I got older, I was going to play to win. I wasn't going to play prevent. I wasn't going to play to not lose. I was going to play to win and I was going to take risks and I was going to, you know, put myself out there and, and, and try things and not be scared to fail where I think he was a lot more conservative and played everything safe. 
Yeah. Isn't that so interesting how, of course, we want to have great opportunities for our kids. We want them to have a wonderful childhood. But sometimes, you know, going through these challenges, actually, a lot of times are what gives us the strength to carry on. And, you know, I love what you say, you know, this is something that that we say all the time with our clients, like, are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose? You know, and it's a different mindset. I mean, you really have to ask yourself that, you know, if it's not supposed to be comfortable, it's not supposed to be easy. We're going through that transition right now in our business where sometimes when you continue to win and things are successful, you forget to pay attention to what's going on in front of you all the time. And so then you start to have different barricades that pop up and different obstacles you have to overcome because you get too comfortable and you have to learn to be uncomfortable and be okay with it and continue to treat a win just like you would a loss and continue to dissect. Look at, I think of Bill Belichick with the Patriots. They're winning all these games. He still was screaming and shouting at players, even though they blew someone out 42 to seven, because he was finding something to get better at. And I think that, you know, myself included, there's been times where I've been asleep at the, at the wheel and I go, Oh, I should have paid more attention to that. We're too busy celebrating a win. So I try to limit the celebration to real quick and treat every day like a playoff game. Yeah. In the uh, movie with Will Smith, King Richard, that's the story of Venus and Serena. Oh, my gosh. That father. Wow. Where he was like, I don't want you celebrating these wins. Like, you've got to stay humble, you know. And so, so incredibly powerful. Now, you started from the ground up. You grew up with little money, like you said, not really any professional guidance as far as business goes. As someone with no experience, what were the first steps when you started your first company? It was you were in the alarm business. That's correct. You know, so I had jobs I wasn't supposed to have because I was a great salesperson, but I didn't have the education or the experience. But I was able to sell myself into the job because I could interview very well. And I would, hey, take a chance on me. You're going to win. Bet on me. Like I would say all those things where I was a little different than everybody else. And I was very successful at sales. Multiple companies, AT&T, Verizon Wireless, when it was Bell Atlantic doing business to business sales. But I was struggling because of my education. And because of my age, I couldn't get promoted. So I couldn't see the path forward. I would be crushing it and I would be training people who had more education than me that were older than me. They couldn't outperform me. They couldn't outwork me, yet they're getting promoted. And I was that was frustrating. And I felt handcuffed. And I said, I have to do my own thing. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. And so... I reached out to a buddy of mine. He's now my business partner. And I said, like, you know, hey, what are you doing? And we both in high school sold home security over the phone part time, right? Where we were calling people who registered to win a Durango. And we'd be like, hey, Allison, do you remember being at the mall and signed up to win a Durango? Yeah. Well, great news. You're still in the running for that. But do you hear this? You've actually won a free alarm system with blah, 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 blah. Monitoring's a dollar a day. That's what we did at like 17 years old in high school. And we crushed it. And so he started a small alarm company out of his house in Arizona. And I was in North Carolina. And I'm like, well, if you ever want to come out south, I want to do my own thing. We could do that. So he's like, yeah, let's do that. So he was supposed to have all this money when we started. I had to get licensed in North Carolina. It took me seven months to get licensed here. She had to get a low voltage license. And I didn't, I mean, I'm not even good with my hands. I'm a salesperson. So here I am having to learn electrical and take tests. And I finally get my license and I reach out to him. I'm like, hey, I'm ready to go. And he's like, oh, dude, I ain't got the money. I'm like, what? 
what? Now I'm still working at Verizon. I'm like, this isn't going to work. So I cash out my 401k, which wasn't a lot. It was like 10 grand. And I started the business and really without him and it just exploded. And I didn't talk to him for about four or five years. Uh, he kind of went to go do real estate, shut his business down. He was struggling. And four or five years later, he came to work for me and I was, we were exploding. I left Verizon, you know, a few months after running the business, I hired him in and, and treated him like a partner and let him help build the business. And we did that. And, you know, we built van teams, like canvas teams, you know, we started door knocking and then we eventually evolved to call centers and we had call centers in Pakistan and we had call centers in the U S and in China that would do telemarketing. So we were learning all of this as we were going. And there were a lot of bumps learning. Like, what do you mean telemarketing? How does avatar work? All these things that if you don't trial and, and error and you don't struggle and you don't jump in to find out what it's about, you don't know. And so we were going down different avenues to scale the business. And then we partnered with another company called Power Home Technologies. We kind of merged the two. And then we were a powerhouse. And I really wanted to get into solar. I, I felt like I wanted something that was more meaningful than alarms. And there's nothing wrong with alarms. I loved what I did. I felt like we were protecting families and lives. People slept better at night. I loved that. But everybody was doing it. And I wanted to be more impactful, something that was life-changing to change the world. And I saw these solar companies in the West Coast really taken off. And I'm like... I, why aren't we doing that here? Why don't we get involved and save that here? In a neighborhood I lived in, over here in the point in North Carolina, they had a lot of coal ash and a lot of, they have a cancer cluster. And coal ash is basically the coal being burned for the power. It's the ash after that. And for them, they put it in an ash basin full of water. And most of those basins are unlined in the US. So what happens is this radioactive arsenic coal ash that's in the water gets into the groundwater and people are drinking it. They're bathing in it. They're showering in it. Something was wrong. Nobody could figure it out. So we moved. Things got better. And I knew this was during I was starting the solar business and leaving the security business. I knew that I had a bigger purpose than just building a solar business, but it was really impacting and forcing utility companies not to do what they did. And so we continue to scale the business and we fight for that. I mean, we fight for, you know, not only energy independence, but a cleaner planet. And I didn't get into the business thinking that, but along the ride, I figured out, wow, this is so much bigger. And the, you know, with electric cars here and everything, battery and storage and, you you know, we don't have to depend on these countries for gas all the like there's so many things the right way to get into renewable energy that it was just the best move that I could do and when you love something and you believe in something it's easy to do you know to be really successful at it yeah wow that is a beautiful story i mean not the obviously what you went through and the cancer and all that is just sickening you know we just got solar on our house i'm in san diego in california about six months ago, and I'm so excited about it. You know, I went to Israel when I was was in the 90s, and they had solar at the time, early 90s, you know, and we're catching, you know, finally here in the United States catching up with that. I mean, it's just we need to do it for the planet. So we have to. Yeah. And, and look, I I was the first one that, that you know, people, did you get into solar to say, no, I mean, I, I believe in it. I believe, you know, but it was because of energy independence. But then it has changed to we have to save the planet like we have to. And the power outages are crazy. Oh, God. They go well, out, the power goes out reason, everywhere. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we did it. It was constant. And, you know, you're running your business. You can't sustain that. So that was one kids of the are homeschooling. Now yeah. you don't have power. Like, what do they do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so. All right. So then you you launch this business. 
well, more than launch it, like you're partnering, you're building sales teams. And one thing I wanted to comment, Jason, is, you know, I really believe your sales ability has a lot to do with what you've created. If you look at Sarah Blakely with Spanx, she had no business experience, but she was selling fax machines, you know, like it's being able to sell. I think it is, you know, a lot of business owners shy away from that, but it's so important. Even when you have a sales team, you still need to be the promoter for your business. What are your thoughts on that? So I agree with you a thousand percent, but then I think eventually you evolve where you're not. So I was the face of the brand for a while, which I, I didn't like that at first. It I felt like it was, uh, I hate to use this word, but it was very douchey. Like to see me on a billboard or see me on a commercial. I was like, I don't know if I like that. It was weird feeling made my kids weird feeling, but people need somebody they can trust. They just don't want a product. Like it, you have to have a face with it. So that's kind of what our marketing team sold me on. And we, you know, and I said, all right, I can do it. And then it turns out I can actually read a script pretty well and act pretty well. I'm like, oh, so I'm good at this. So I would do the commercials and it was great. But now like, we're talking about eventually taking the company public. And, you know, that was when we were power home solar. And I think that there's something to be said. If you're going to build your brand, you are your brand. You need to build both simultaneously. But then I think when you hit a certain peak, eventually you have to evolve to something bigger. And so we came up with pink energy and kind of pulled myself off of that. And the reason was as power home solar limited us to just powering homes and solar. And we do so much more than that. We have energy efficiency. We do microgrids. We're involved in commercial, you know, solar. We've done solar on NFL stadiums. You know, we do battery and storage. So it was like, what can we come up with to rebrand, to prepare us to do a transaction to go public and to have this name really grow and inspire others worldwide. And the color pink is an inspiring color. It's a welcoming color and it, it has so much purpose in this planet and it softens everything because some people think of solar of just being, I got to get solar. Like it doesn't have, it's both. And women, people don't ever want to admit this. They make most decisions in the home nine times out of 10. So if you can get solar and energy independence to be like, yes, I want to do that. But then the wife loves the brand of pink energy and all the philanthropy we're doing with different, you know, kind of foundations and things, then all of a sudden it's a really good feeling. And so you have to evolve to that. I, I mean, you know, when we first opened, it was all about the green and blue colors. And then it was, okay, I'll be the face and promote it and give them a brand to trust, kind of like my pillow guy. But if my pillow guy wanted to go even bigger, he's got to get off there. He's got to change it. So there is a reason to do it. And it's like walking up the stairs, right? When you're building your brand, there's there's level one, then there's level two. And and I think in those early levels, you really have to build yourself up so you have, you're credible. And so people will buy from you because you, you're a credible person or you're out there and they've seen you or they've seen your brand, they've seen your product. And then when you get to a point like to where we're at, we think of the Googles and the Teslas. And I'm not saying we're them, but it's just like unique. It's like, what is that? What does a Google mean? Right? What does a Tesla mean? What is pink energy? Like you'll never forget that. And that's kind of what we are going for. Yeah. No, I love it. And that makes so much sense. And I actually made a big mistake in that department. In this company, we've been running for 13 years. And I did a great job at branding myself and people would equate, oh, Allison with business success, but they didn't really know what my company was. So we've had to, you know, really, even though the business had been growing all these years, it was kind of one of those best kept secrets sort of things. 
So in the last like three to four years, we've really put Pinnacle in, in the front, you know, in the forefront. But yeah, it's interesting because there's so much talk about the personal brand and so forth. But there's a point where the business really has to be able to thrive on its own. Right. Correct. That's so, how it becomes worth more. I mean, it, yes. it's great that I can be the face and I go into an office with 2,100 employees and they're like, hey, and I can go out there and show them some love and high five and get them excited. However, it's even better when they're proud of the brand and they're the brand. Right. It's not me. Yes. It's them. And there's something to be said about that. And so they get excited about it. And let me like we're big into swag. You can see me wearing the hoodie and I got two like. The swag that the team is wearing now with pink, pink's a pop in color. They love the swag. Our team's always decked out in the pink, which they didn't do that much in, in the power home days. Yeah, well, I love this conversation. I think it's super important. Now, let's talk about team. I mean, over 2,000 employees, you know, it's a lot. I think it's the area, not I think, I know it's the area that as businesses are scaling, they struggle with the most. They talk a lot about, not being able to find people, getting them motivated, you know, all of those things, right? And so what were some challenges that you had to overcome or lessons you had to overcome on building a team? And then on the other side of that, what do you feel like has really helped you grow a great team? I think when it comes to the team around me first, not just all the employees, but the executives, you know, there was a time in this, in the, you know, I think everybody goes through this in the solar and I mean, in the security industry where I had a, I had a bigger ego, like I know everything I can do it all. I can do it all. I can do it all. And the truth is I, I can't do very much. There's a few things I'm great at and a few things I'm good at and the rest I'm just not so good at. And it's a fact. I didn't know what EBITDA was four years ago, built three companies, had no idea what EBITDA meant. That's a true statement. And when we were raising a minority private equity deal to help propel the business, I had to learn. I didn't like just go, you know, I don't like to read books. I wrote a book. I don't read books. So I, I hired somebody smarter than me to be the president, explain it, hired somebody smarter than me to be the chief financial officer. I mean, you surround your team like the Avengers. You have one superhero talent and then you find other people with different talents so you can be a great team. I think you do the same thing when you scale your business. You have to have different leaders that bring different things to the table, different walks of life, you know, male, female, minorities, whatever. You want people to have different perspective in the circle to really bring the perception of what A, a customer is going to think of your business and B, what the employees are going to feel with the business because everybody's completely different. And I think that as we started to scale and learn more of that and hire people around us and treating it like a puzzle, where we hit a lot of the obstacles was COVID hit. You know, we were sitting about 750 employees when COVID hit. Now we're sitting, you know, triple that. But we had a lot of turnover. Like we would hire people and then they would leave and they would hire people and then they would leave. And a lot of it was because, you know, they can stay home and make a paycheck and it's hard for them to get on a roof and they don't want to sit in the snow or the heat and get on a roof or they don't want to be a salesperson and drive around. Like there was a lot of turnover that way. And so we had to step back and say, how can we do better? So we just said, rather than have 50 employees making 15 bucks an hour, I'd rather have 25 employees making 30 bucks an hour because I'm going to get more efficiency and better people. So we kind of scaled some of the departments down and hired better quality. And then we started paying more in the, in this, in the install side, we wanted to be the best paying out there, but then we demand the best work. Like you're going to be the best you we're going to pay you. You got to show up and be the best. And so I think when you do that and you don't cut corners and you're smart, we hit bumps where we had 
too many departments, uh, you know, with overhead. And it's like, why do they have 80 employees in that department when they only need 65? And then other departments that were short staffed. And that's what I was talking about. You get, you get a cruise control and you don't pay attention. These are the things that you have to surround yourself with a team because you can't do everything. You only juggle so many balls to really pay attention and dive into that to manage and scale that correctly. But I think that there's always a way to scale. And I look at everybody as like an, an, a department and people as like a number. Is that department number worth? working or not. You can't be personal about it. It's business. Love all our employees. would do anything for them, their family. But if it's not making money, it's not making sense. That doesn't work. So I'm very cut and dry of like, this is the job. These are the KPIs. And I instilled what we call an 80-20 rule. And I keep being told the guy that was the CEO at GE back in the day has sim something similar. But I challenge all my directors to have KPIs for the bottom 20% every month. And so, Allison, if you're on a this team doing whatever it is. If you're in the bottom 20%, you're going to go on a pit plan. The goal is to coach you out of that pit plan. You learned and now you're in the top 80. The bad thing would be you go back to back months like that. Well, we're going to churn and burn because I believe my opinion, your top 20% do 80% of the work and your next 60% do 20% of the work and your bottom 20%, they're pointing fingers, they're making excuses, they're complaining, they're festering, they're just doing all the things you don't need. And there's a reason for that. I, I treat every position like, like, like it would be sales or like you're on the golf course. Everybody has their own issues. We have sand bunkers, we have out of bounds, we have water. It's the same thing if you're a customer service agent, if you're an installer, like we bottle everything out the same. You can't make excuses and I don't like excuses. Everybody makes mistakes. Mistakes are okay. In fact, mistakes make us better, but own your mistake. Learn from your mistake. Let's get better. It's those that make excuses and don't put the effort in. They usually fall down to the 20, you know, repeatedly, and then they get removed out and you bring somebody with new blood ready to go. And so that has really helped us scale with the right people. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. How do you think with that? And it kind of reminds me of uh, Barbara Corcoran used to, I actually had her speak at one of my events recently, and she said she had fire Fridays. And so the people that were complainers and whiners, they just didn't make it, you know, which is Barbara is, is pretty funny, but it's true, right? Because it brings everybody down, you know, when you're around those people, what do you think as far as the talk right now, as far as teams, we, you know, you can't find good people. People don't want to work. There's a story that people tell. And, you know, definitely there was a shift because of COVID. People realized, wow, I could work from home. I have other choices. I have other things that I could do. I want more work-life balance. How are you navigating all that? And what, what do you think is going on? So this is how people evolve, right? If you were to ask me this two years ago, I'd say, heck no, people can't work from home. They're not there. They can't do it. It doesn't work. I was the biggest no way. In fact, as COVID happened, I, you know, we were an essential business. We stayed open. I'm like, people aren't working from home. They don't put their effort in because I'm hardcore. Like they're not working from home. It's not happening. As I've evolved and learned there are some great people that can work from home. And think about this. If I'm hiring you in an office in Troy, Michigan, my pond of employees is only Troy, Michigan. But if I'm having you do that same position from home, my pond of employees is nationwide. So I can find quality people. And it took me to learn that to go, 
Interesting. I can do that. And so we have several positions that do work from home. Your fish only get so big. So many fish can only grow. Sometimes the business grows so high, the frequency can't keep up with certain employees. You have to be able to get out of your comfort zone and bring people in sometimes. And so that's what we've been doing. But I think that it's a good blend. I think that there's something to be said about a team being together and high-fiving and feeding off each other. That's wonderful. And there's something to be said about that professional that can work from home. They have that time-life balance. They're not wasting their time driving to work. They're not doing this. They're able to take their lunch and, hey, I'm going to do lunch with my kids or my spouse. It gives them happiness during the day, which then feeds off into their job. Yeah, no, I agree with that wholeheartedly. We ended up going virtual six months before COVID. We had no idea it was even happening. And so it was a big shift for us. But, you know, we really have had a great transition and we have a great team. And what you said about the Avengers on your team and having those leaders, you know, I think of the quality when I think of those leaders, you know, one, they can cast a vision. And two, I never have to wonder what the heck they're doing, ever. Like they're just doing all the things that they need to do to carry the business forward. What do you see? Those are the best kinds, the ones that you don't have to wonder. And the problem is when you continuously have to wonder, you got to get a new leader. Yeah. That I figured out. Like quickly. Because it suffers. See, you talked about, you know, that she has Friday, Fire Friday, right? For the complainers. I always think of spoiled milk. Yeah. Right. If you got spoiled milk in the fridge and it's just stinking up everything, everything stinks now. You got to get rid of it fast. And so, you know, that's how I feel about a complainer or someone negative. I mean, I'm a big advocate. You can screw up and not do your job correctly and still keep a great, wonderful career at Pink Energy. As long as you don't screw up and not do your job correctly, the same thing over and over. As long as you're given 110% and you're loyal to the brand, you put the brand before yourself. You'll always have a job here. Like, we'll find a way to train and make you better. You learn from mistakes. It's those that don't try and make excuses and don't want to work. Those are the ones you got to move on from fast and quit giving second chances because it's not fair to those that are working. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, there's just so much, right? There's so much to growing and scaling a business. And it's so much about people. What about vision? Just Having that clear vision, how do you get your, well, first of all, you align with the vision and then, you know, 2000 employees, how do you get them in line with that vision or excited about that vision? Well, we have a thing that we trademark called BAM. It's building a movement, one panel, one customer, one employee, one life at a time, right? And so our whole team rose for the same thing. They all yell, bam. You know, we had a virtual holiday party this past January, and we had 1,800 of the 2,000 employees on. And we gave out $300,000 to employees as gifts. Like, you know, we would call their, their employee number. They'd be like, oh my gosh, you won $25,000. It was so exciting and life-changing for a lot of the employees. It's like Oprah, but like we make, you get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get one. My, my son's a quarterback, and he's like, dad, I feel like I'm Oprah when we're a quarterback. I'm like, you you get a touchdown and you get a touchdown. I'm like laugh. So, but you know, when you, when you do that and you give to people, there's no better feeling than that. You know, I've made money. I've had fun. There's no better feeling than when you actually 
can help somebody and it changes their life. And so the holiday party is a big deal for us, but our culture is built that way. Everyone's yelling, bam, they're excited. They love what they do. They love the philanthropy. We do a lot of philanthropy stuff and give it back to the community, foundations, military. We run military makeover many times, St. Jude's Hospital for the kids. Like We're always involved on a local scale and a national scale where we have our community leaders, our employees involved in that. They feel good about what they're doing and making an impact. And when you have great culture like that, it just continues to feed off each other. And you're going to hit bumps. But, you know, people joke here, you're you're drinking the pink Kool-Aid. And you really are. And so when you're in, you're in. But it starts at the top. Everybody's got to buy in. Everybody's got to have the same belief. Everybody's got to have the same mission. And that's the goal. You know, they all want to take it public. I, I was on Forbes magazine, they did an article where I said, I want all our employees to act like owners because one day they will be. We want to do a transaction and give back to every one of the employees where they have life-changing events. That's the goal. So they're all in on that. And you just, you got to be transparent with them and you got to be honest with them. And sometimes you got to be stern, but understand that it's always about the brand. And I think as me as the leader, they know that they they're getting what the truth. I don't talk out of both sides of my mouth. There's no fake about me. I'm real. Sometimes you don't want to hear what I got to say, but I'm as real as it gets. And I think that they appreciate that. And then I've got the podcast where some of them can kind of learn who I am on a different aspect. You know, I'm, I'm corporate CEO, Jason. And then it's like, okay, I'm this podcaster that's you know, real flamboyant, loud and obnoxious, but they love that because I'm real. You have to make yourself real to your folks. When you are sitting on a high mountain and you can't be relatable to them, they don't want to go out and work for you. But when you can be relatable to them and you can be real to them and they, and you can understand them or they know about you, I think that that's helped our business, the podcast where employees can understand me. I brought I brought executives on. I brought some managers on, different employees on, and they love that because they know whatever the, the mission is. And then I'm a big believer in goals, but not long-term goals. I'm a little different. I like 30, 60, 90, 180, that's it. So if someone said, hey, man, you ever going to have 2,000 employees and do 700 million sales? I'd say, heck no, especially year one, two, three, right? Four. But I'm like, look, my goal is let me get to 100,000. Let me get to a million. It's taking the stairs, right? There's no elevator. And so you've got to understand it's the small wins that you don't see or don't feel that make a difference to get you to the point. And as long as you live in the moment, Meaning I can see 60, 90, 100 days out and I can see 60, 190 days behind me. I'm not going too far out and I'm not going too far back. I'm always in the moment. Then you're not shock and awe and you're not disappointed because that's the problem. You're like, how do I get to a billion dollar business? You're going to be disappointed thinking about all day. How do I get to a million dollar business is the first question. How do I get to $5 million business? How do I get to 10? How do I get to 20? How do I get to 50? How do I get to hundred? You have to set those goals. So you get those wins because those wins create confidence and momentum, which then leads to bigger success. That that's worked for me. And we do the same thing with all our team members, like with all our leadership, with all our directors, they set those goals that way. So they're not looking up going, how am I going to get to the 84th floor? And it's discouraging. Yeah, it's just too big, too far off too, right? Because we do like that more immediate gratification too. This has made everything instant. Now, now, yeah. now, now. That we're, It's like we don't want to put in the work. You have to put in the work. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That, what you just shared. Oh my gosh. That was so, so enlightening. Now, so you've got the wins, But obviously, you've had some losses on your way up to the billion dollars. And I read that you lost 
like around a million dollars during your first year. There were some importing issues, things like that with the solar panels that you got really hit hard. That was part of it. The first two years I was open. So I made, I made a little bit of money in the home security business. It was really a a cash type business, right? So I didn't have a lot of equity on it. I made a couple million dollars when we sold it. I put all that into the solar business and didn't get paid for 11 months and sold my house and put it on the, in the business till it finally turned. And so we lost, it was closer to like 2 million year one and another two or 3 million year two. And we were positive year three. And I remember selling the house on the lake, which was a good thing. Cause remember people were getting sick and we didn't realize that then we were selling it, you know, like, Hey, once we realized when we got off there, cause we thought my, my wife was just not feeling good. And she had a pick line. My son was sick. We realized when we moved, Oh, that is a problem. And thank God we did. But I remember saying, Hey, I got to sell the house, put the money in the business. My wife gave me the stink eye. My kids are like, why we live on the lake. I'm like, guys, like. I see the light. I just need a bridge to get there. I got to bet on myself. Scared money don't make money. I got to go all in and risk everything. Otherwise, I'll have regret thinking, oh, what if I could have, should have, would have. I don't want that. I want to, you know, either I'm all in and it's sinking or I'm all in and we're winning. I don't want the middle. And so... That's what I did. And and all of a sudden it started to take off and you get people to believe in you. And if they see you risk everything, they'll follow you anywhere. They'll believe in you. But if you're not willing to risk your own stuff, how are they going to follow and believe in you? And that's what I had to show and convince to the team as we grew. Wow. That's amazing. So was there ever a time where you're like, you know, outwardly, you're like, yeah, we can do this. And internally you're like, holy crap. I mean, Were you scared? I still deal with that. You know, there's a thin line of being a billion dollar company, not a business. People tell you that all the time. You have a couple bad months and you're like, whoa, because the monster's so big. But you got to keep the same enthusiasm and the same personality and the same smile and be strong. And then there's months that you're just exploding. You're like, wow, I can't even believe this is happening. You you can't get stuck. You got to stay in that moment and continue to grow. And, you know, our business is seasonal. I hate saying that out loud. But it really is like we have bad winters and awesome springs and summers and okay falls. And I've always told myself, like I I tell the team, they're like, well, you know, we're having a bad November. And I'm like, well, why? Well, Thanksgiving. Well, you knew there was Thanksgiving every freaking time. Why didn't you plan for it? Thanksgiving just didn't appear. So I give them a hard time to push, to push, to push. But realistically, look, customers don't want us in their house sometimes when it's snowing and Thanksgiving. So we have to understand that and you have to be able to plan accordingly to that. And I think that there are moments where I am struggling, you know, whether it be personally, whether it be in business and you just have to act as if, and you have to have confidence because I'm a big believer. I'm going to bring up a a situation that recently happened with an ex-executive. So we had directors that were moonlighting. You know what moonlighting is? Right. So, and for the listeners out there, moonlighting is really like, if you're a leader in our company, you can't have another career and be a leader. You can be an employee and have another job, but if you're a leader in our company and you're managing folks, you can't have another career. You can have passive income, rental income, whatever, but you can't be promoting a new business. We had a couple regionals that were promoting their own businesses on there and not hitting their numbers in December, January, right. February. And you're seeing them on thing. Instagram promoting something else. So I'm getting people message me like, you know, this guy's like, promoting in this business or promoting this business. And I'm like, really? So then I go to one of the executives and I kind of lose it. I'm like, why? First of all, they, they hit their numbers. No. 
Have you put them on a pit plan? Well, you know, it's winter. I said, that's an excuse. Why are they promoting other business? Well, you know, it's okay. I said, how do you tell 150 people that work under them? That it's okay for you to have a second career like this isn't good enough for you. And he goes, well, you know, they watch your podcast. This is what the executive said. He's no longer with us. Go figure. But they watch your podcast and they want to be an entrepreneur like you. And I said, dude, that's not the reason. The reason is, is they can do anything they want in life, but they can either ride a train and be a part of something great, magnificent and take ownership in that. Or they can go do their own thing, but they can't do both at the same time. That's wrong. And so I said, that's not the case. It's not the podcast. It's because they were doing these book clubs all the time of empowerment and motivation and entrepreneurship rather than working. The main thing's the main thing. If you want to do self-improvement, I love that. But do it if you're hitting your numbers and on downtime. Don't do it and not hit your numbers and then give wrong ideas to the wrong people. So that's my take on that. Fat. Long story short, I asked him to, I said, look, they haven't hit their numbers in three months and they're moonlighting. I, you need to fire all three of them. And he said, okay. And I went on a trip and he didn't fire them. He put them on PIP. So they had an organized leave and they left. Now, think about what three regionals leave in an organization does. It scares all the people that work for them, all their district managers. What's going on there? It creates this fear that's unneeded. I'm a big believer. I never want to fire anybody or let anybody go unless they're not doing their job. But I'd rather fire a thousand people, Allison, than let one quit and tell their story if it's in a, like, I'm just not a believer in that. If they're not doing their job, they should be fired. You don't, because he was, oh, I wrote them up so they would quit. You don't write someone up because they quit. You write somebody up because you believe in them and you want to work with them to get better. And the write-up doesn't matter. You don't write them up if they're, because you want them to quit. You, if you are second guessing, if someone should work for you, they shouldn't work for you. If you think you should fire them. You should fire them. That's how I stand. I'm very transparent. And so when they organized this, because they were upset, and the way he worded it, well, you know, Jason wanted you fired, but I wanted to give you a pit plan. Why would they want to come to work when the CEO wants them fired? Like, to me, that's weak leadership. As a leader, when things are tough, when there's decisions to be made, you have to have conviction, you have to have confidence, and you have to do it and not be able to shake your, like, it's just got to be done. And that's and how you get to the next level. everybody needs to be coming from the same place, right? It can't be like you exactly. can't have mom and dad working against each other here, right? Because then they, it's you know, a there's a manipulation thing that starts. But that's what happens. You bring people in, you think fits that Avengers, and then all of a sudden, maybe their superpower isn't what you thought it was, or maybe it's kind of burned out, and they're actually Achilles heel to the team, and you got to move on. And it's unfortunate sometimes, but for me, I never would fire anybody who gives 110% and has integrity and loyalty to our business ever. But if they're not giving 110% and they're lying, cheating, stealing, taking advantage of us, they don't need to be here. And I ask folks this all the time, Allison. I say, hey, did your check clear? You got paid 100% of your money, right? Like it goes in every other week, 110%. Okay, so how come I can pay you 100% of your pay? Like power, Pink Energy can pay you that, but we get 62% of your effort or 75% of your effort or 78% of your job. Do you think that's fair? Can we get a 22% refund? Oh, we can't. Then you need to put in the extra percent. But I ask them, like, I'm I'm transparent. People, I'm like, look, that's the kind of, but I make my leaders think the same way. And I say, treat it like it's your business because it is. Treat it like, and when you go into a customer's home, treat it like it's your mom's home, like you care. Treat it like it's your business. Treat people with respect, but make sure that the line is there and you follow it. There's consistency. Wow, that's so powerful. And you know what? It's coming up a lot because I think COVID and people are starting things 
on the side. In fact, I was talking to a- I'm okay with starting things on the side as long as you're not marketing right. and you're hitting your numbers. Let's say someone's hitting their numbers. I mean, I said fire them because they're not hitting their numbers. But that was just a side gig that like reminded me they're not hitting their numbers or too busy doing something else. Yeah, but it's also, and look, I'm all about entrepreneurship. We help people grow their businesses. And I think then that's what you should go do. But if a leader is doing that, what is the message that it's sending to the team that it is okay to do these other things, right? And so, yeah, you have to be thinking about that, you know, the big picture in your business. So that's, that is um, really powerful. One last thing I just want to touch on as we wrap up here. One of the things that we're thing that we really specialize in, in Pinnacle is scaling. That's our scale it method. And what I mean by that is replicating and so you can multiply. A lot of business owners get stuck in that they're still delivering the product or service. They have a hard time letting go, but you've done a great job. You've got different scaling models. I see you have customers in different states. You have a commercial division. You have developed partnerships like joint vent partners with sports franchises, things like that. Where do you go in your mind in that way? Because that's really strategy. You know, how do I multiply? Right. I think the easiest way for me to scale is I say, you know, what are what are the measurables of a location? Right. You know, when we our first location was Charlotte and our second location was Detroit, we had it working in Charlotte. It was like, how can we duplicate this? Well, I don't want to go and open an office and have to do everything all over. So how can I minimize that? Can I keep HR back at corporate? Sure. Can I keep accounting back at corporate? Sure. Can I keep all these other pieces. Yes. So then when we open an office, I only need a warehouse manager, an install manager, a sales manager, an admin, and some sales reps and installers. I don't need all 14 other department heads and open up all complete new stores with everything. It's kind of the Dish Network Direct TV approach is what I took. Like, how do I have a couple corporate offices that control all of it? And then I'm able to scale and open these offices with minimal overhead and really make it efficient. And I would also combine our sales and installation offices together because sales only comes in for one day a week for meetings, installs is in there at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, and they can sit there and collaborate, high five each other, build up the synergy. It works. A lot of companies don't, but you have to find ways to bring everything down and scale and utilize some of that SGNA that you're creating and utilize your employees the right way to make sure that things are being able to be scaled because a lot of times people just restart the whole wheel over. And that that's where I think people struggle. I saw my old business partner in home security do that where he would just open up everything as a new office. And I'm like, why wouldn't you just have like a corporate shell that does all of this that you can manage and that you could you could scale and quantify and then just open up these satellite offices. And then with the business thing, you can't stay with one stream of of business. You know, you have to master something. I'm a big believer. If if someone has menus, they're never going to make a decision. So it's like always stay here with the blinders until you get to a point where it's self-sufficient and then find another thing, right? And then work on that and build that up. And you have to have different channels because at certain times of the year and certain times of the month, different channels will outperform each other and you don't want to lose your profitability because you're all in on one thing. And so you have to be redundant and have backup to backup to backup by other streams or sources of business. And so, you know, our partnership with the NFL teams was really building credibility, but it also led to a lot of deals. We would have little shows there in the, on the preseason or the games that led to some things as well. Um, and that was just a, it started out small and it really took off. And then the commercial side, I believe that you can't 
live chasing elephants if you're a hunter you have to hunt all the small stuff and elephants when they come by get them if you chase the big one all the time you're gonna you're gonna starve and so i wasn't really big into commercial just chasing the big ones it was we were doing residential oh you own a business we'll do you we we're doing residential till it became an issue it's like all right let's get a few folks to do commercial as well as it pops up and maybe start hunting a little bit for it but it's really, you have to be able to utilize the same sources, the same departments, the same dollars you're using in other areas of your business to scale. You can't recreate the whole thing. It's just, it's not worth it. Yeah, because, you know, you're growing, but your expenses are growing at the same rate. So, and then you, you can't get profit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So much wisdom that you shared there. Is there anything as we wrap up that you want to share with our listeners that we haven't covered? No, I mean, I appreciate the shout out on the book, Own Your Power and the podcast, True Underdog. I will say this, and I never give anybody else a shout out, but I went to an Ed Milet event the other day and got to go backstage with him and Eric Thomas and Andy Frisella. Those are like my favorite guys, like Eric Thomas, Andy Frisella, my favorite. And Ed's a friend of mine. And I never heard him speak. And the speech he gave the other day about one more about his book, everybody, including myself, was bawling. So I would say if you get a chance and you want to be inspired and kind of have a reset in life and understand everything's one more, one more, one more, definitely check out Ed's book, but check out his speech that he gave at his Max Out Live recently. Um, it was, it was, I've never heard anything like it in my life. It was that good. Wow. I think yeah. I'm actually going to be part of promoting his book launch. So that's good to know. <laughs> good. To, um, yeah. But you talk to him, you say, Hey, Jason gave you a shot. Like he, I will. he is so, I didn't think, I didn't know he was that good and he was that good. And it just, it refreshed and reset my mind. And it was something I needed. I went up to Raleigh on, on this past Friday, kind of disconnected and listened to him. I sat front row and then I went backstage after he spoke and the other speakers came up. And I was just like, everyone around me was crying. I don't cry at stuff like that. Like I get a little like choked up. People were bawling. It was that wow. good. Oh my so God. So just, yeah, it was next level. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. I may need to bring him on my stage. Yes. So thank you for sharing that. So You're this welcome. has been You're welcome. super enlightening. It's been great spending the time with you. I learned so much. I know that everybody listening is as well. So thank you so much, Jason for sharing your your insight. Thank you so much, Allison. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Scale-Up Method. A quick reminder about our free masterclass. If you want to build a scalable company that can thrive without you and you're ready to get the support you need to do it, sign up for my masterclass today. And during our time together, I will teach you the five critical phases you must know in order to scale to eight figures and beyond. So head on over to scalemasterclass.com forward slash podcast to secure your seat. And I'll see you there.